uh, we all need love and uh, we're searching for it. The world tries to find love um, sometimes in the wrong places, of course, but, but, but I would say all, all together, we are built needing love. Uh, on an individual basis, in our relationships, and I would say ultimately that is fulfilled completely in finding love from, from God, from, from the Lord. And we hear about love a lot in the holiday season because we, we know that. We, we, what I've just said is not anything really new to you. you. You know that. You feel it. You see it. That's why Hallmark makes a killing on Christmas movies, right? Thank you. That was... I didn't even prepare that one. It was great. Sometimes I say jokes and y'all just like look at me. <clears throat> so we understand that we need love and we, we, we see that. And the holidays are supposed to be about that. But what I'm finding is, is as I grow older and as just you, you become more introspective of, of everything and of your life is that Though the holidays are supposed to draw us nearer to those we love, it's sometimes division that is really there. So I, I, think, I think of love as drawing into some, someone, right? Drawing in. But oftentimes what's happened is we want it to be that way, but what's happened is that division has come and, and, and separated us or pushed us uh, to be distant we were recently at a family get together and uh, we were gathering with my mom's family and uh, we see each other about once a year and so uh, I'm, I'm talking with my cousin this is my first cousin right and uh, he's talking about my kids and he's talking about my brother's kids and he doesn't know their names and uh, or much about them at all and he makes this statement I think is you know, it was just a conversation, but I really think it's a profound statement and it has a lot of truth to it. And he says, he says, we're kind of like strangers who are related in that we don't see each other, but once a year, uh, may, maybe once every two years, because we skipped last year because of uh, COVID and some of those kind of things. And so, and I thought, you know, really, really kind of are, it's sad, because I'm sure my mom and her brothers, right, you know, who were, lived in the same house at one point, never imagined that, you know, 30, 40 years later, you know, their sons would be talking about how we don't know each other, you know. And, but that's kind of what I'm, what I'm getting at, is that we, we know we should draw near, and yet there's distance sometimes. And I, I wonder, and I think about this in my own relationships and in my own life and 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 if I can just be uh, if I can just be real with you for a moment sometimes um, I'm just not this the person I'm supposed to be I'm not the dad I'm supposed to be I'm not the husband I'm supposed to be I'm not the pastor I'm supposed to be and so or the son or I, I'm, I mess up on it all and and so yesterday was kind of one of those days where I just, 
I missed the mark. I ended the day and I thought, wow, I really, really blew that day. I blew that day. And it had to do with how I treated my own kids and just the stress of everything and, and those kind of things. And so we desire this love. We, we need love. We all strive for it and hope for it and long for it and desire it. Yet we, because of sinful nature, because of our own struggles, because of whatever things come into our life, there can be dissonance. And I wonder how many of our relationships could be characterized this way, the way my cousin described it, strangers who are related. What, what about coworkers that are nothing but coworkers, just we work together and that's it? Or what about church family who don't really know each other and don't step in to find out more about one another? I think about marriages where the couple is more like two ships in the night living in the same home but haven't been really close in a while. And then how many of us could describe our relationship with God in a similar way? God doesn't seem close, maybe. Maybe we could say, I know a lot about God, but don't seem to know Him deeply, intimately. Close. But that's not how God sees us. God's love is deep for you and I. You know, it's interesting. I went to bed thinking, you know, I really messed up today. I, you know, lost my cool a couple times. But you know what's really cool? I woke up, my kids. They all greeted me with a hug and love and care. They gave me a picture, even for a moment, of the love that the Lord has for us. Even when we mess it up, even when we blow it, He's right there, loving us deeply. And that's what Advent is about. That's what Advent is about. It's waiting for a God who has a loving relationship with us and comes to reveal to us how deeply He loves us. He comes to reveal to us the end that He's willing to take, how far He's willing to go, what He's willing to do. And, spoiler alert, He laid it all out. He died on the cross. He bled and died for you and me, sacrificed cared for us so much that he was willing to go all the way, all the way to show you he loves you deeply. That song, he loves me. He loves you. He loves me. And he's not like us. He's not fickle. He doesn't get up, he doesn't get like, you know, uh, woe is me, you know, he's not selfish. He's uh, he gives us this love freely, willingly, sacrificially. And Advent is about treasuring this God who treasures you and me. That's the light we've been, uh, we've seen shining from the beginning. We've talked about in this series, this Advent series, we talked about that light that has come, the light that was shining even in the midst of the darkness. 
when the world is dark, when the turmoil seems to rage, when apathy and misery pervade, and when distance seems to span too far, there is light, there is peace, there is joy, there is love. Scripture shows us this throughout, on every page, in every story, we see the hand of, the, of God giving us light. And the light we know to come was Jesus. The light to come was, yes, a babe wrapped in a manger, but also a, a, a Savior that was beaten and bruised and bloodied for you and I, killed to show us how much He loves us. Scripture shows us this. The covenants God established reveal this and so let's turn to exodus 19 and see how god draws near to us how we can draw near to him and as a result can display his love for a world to see would you turn in your bibles to exodus chapter 19 and we're going to read verses 3 through 6 and as just as a reminder when I read it, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord, and you'll say, thanks be to God. Would you stand as we read this together? If you're able, would you stand? <clears throat> Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain. This is what you must say to the house of Jacob and explain to the Israelites. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all peoples. Although the whole world is mine, the whole earth is mine, and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You be, may be seated. So what's happening in, in chapters 19 through 34. So we've, we talked about the covenant God made with Adam in creation. We talked about the covenant that God made with, uh, uh, with Abraham. We've talked about Noah. We've talked about all these people. And uh, didn't Jason do a great job last week sharing about Abraham? So today we're going to look at the covenant God made with his people, with Israel, through Moses. It's oftentimes called the Mosaic Covenant, but really Moses is delivering God's book of covenant, God's scroll of covenant that God handed down to Moses, but was for the people, Israel. And he's doing this in chapters 19 through 24. And what we see in these bookends is this passage in 3 through 6 and at the very end, the passage where the covenant is, is uh, ceremonialized and uh, ratified and made, made, uh, made true and, and, and then ceremonialized, it's vowed to us. And we see those bookends, and in the middle we see some things as well. I want to show you that in just a moment. But what I want, to see, what you, what I want, to, want you to see in this passage that is so beautiful, this beautiful picture, and it's, it mimics what we've seen all along. What we've seen from the very beginning when God established a relationship with Adam, with humankind, through Adam, with uh, humankind, and also with creation, we see God establishing this clear, this clear relationship He was building, this clear love that He was displaying. 
We talked about that love. We, we understand that the Hebrew word is hes, hesed, and it means that he is giving us uh, his kindness through loyal love. And what we see here again in these passages, in, this, in this, these verses, is this beautiful picture of the relationship that God is drawing with a people. There's a word here. It's the word sagula. And it means treasure. And what we, we see is it's the word translated possession in, in mine. And then if you have the King James, it actually says a peculiar treasure. He says, you will be my own possession. And that word means treasure. That word means treasure. So let's don't just gloss over that. Let's, let's dive into that for a moment. God loves you and I. He treasures his relationship with his people. Those who he has given relationship to, he has treasured us. He treasures that relationship with us. He continues on and says, You will be a royal priesthood and a kingdom of priests and my holy nation. And really, these are like surround sound a surround sound system right but it's the the left and right of the same system it's it's two words to flesh out this idea of us being the treasure but he clearly helps us to see what that means what does that look like what what is the full uh, encompassing surround sound of all of that and what it what it means is a royal priesthood is helping us to understand and see that uh, we are his uh, personal treasure. And, and another way to understand that is we are uh, uh, sons and daughters. We are his children. We are a son. We are his very own flesh and blood mentality here. It's really likeness and image from the covenant of creation. We talked about several weeks ago this idea that he has placed on people the, his likeness and his image, their sonship and then servant kingship. It's fleshed out in this whole idea. We are beloved children of God, a treasure. As much as you treasure your kids or your grandkids and the relationship that you have, God treasures that relationship with those who know him and trust him and have loved him and followed in his ways and he loves us in that way. That royal priesthood, now a, a priest, we understand, is an intermediary, right? Someone that stands in between and speaks on behalf of God and then on behalf of the people he speaks uh, to God on their behalf as well. And that's true, but, but what we really need to see here is not just this intermediary, but God expects the, the Israelites to be a, a royal priesthood and what that means is a priest was someone who drew near to God in worship. A priest was someone who drew near to God in worship and had access to the divine presence. And so what God wants for his people, this people he was setting aside for himself, these Israelites, what he was wanting for them to do is to draw near to him, to worship him, to love him, to be in his presence to know him intimately, to love him. He wanted them to be close to him. Now in the garden, 
with Adam. Let's look at Adam for just a moment. Before the fall, Adam, in a way, was a priest over the garden. And then there's just language and understanding that we see that he was kind of a priest even there, a, 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 a king and a priest, a prince and a, and a, and a priest. And his role was to spend time in the divine presence, in the presence of God, to order his life, to order his perspectives and his role in the world. It's this idea of we, uh, what, what has been established from the beginning in covenant is that God wanted a close relationship with those that he was in covenant relationship with so that they in turn could live out his walk and his life among all other created things. It's this idea of conduit. It's the, this idea of spending time in a relationship with the Lord so that our relationship with others is affected by that. Another way that we can see it is like a mirror. A mirror reflects light. And so like the light of God reflects off onto us. We absorb it and then we reflect it out to all that we See, that's the relationship God has established from the beginning, even with Adam. And it's a role that now Israel, a new Adam of sorts, a new covenant partner with God, that they would do the same. The tabernacle that they worshipped in was a replica of the Garden of Eden and a representation of the entire universe. It's this idea of Diving close into the Lord and then spreading out his love. And a priest would stand before God, and Israel was to be a kingdom of priests to have this type of relationship with their God and with the world as well. I want to show you a slide I think will help show, show this a little bit better. So what you see is that this is the relationships that God has established that we've looked at so far. Number one, God made a relationship with Adam and through Adam created a relationship with all of creation. It's that vertical and horizontal aspect of this relationship. He established that again with Noah uh, at the flood and a new creation of sorts. We've talked about those as well. And last week, Jason helped us to see the relationship God established with Abraham and that he meant for that relationship to be fleshed out and lived out among the nations. And now what happens is that the people of Abraham, the people God has chosen, the descendants of Abraham, the Israelites, come and represent uh, God among the nations. They are uh, sons and they are servant kings. Now, the second thing that he describes that this, is this surround sound of us being the personal treasure of God is holy nation. So you have royal priesthood and then holy nation. What does that mean? And what we see is that in the fulfillment of the promises to Abraham, Israel, by virtue of the Mosaic covenant, will provide under the direct rule of God a model of God's rule over human life. Holy means consecrated or devoted to God. So he wants us to be royal priests that draw into God and have relationship with God, but then in turn live out that relationship among all the nations. So it's that vertical and horizontal. Let me show you again what we talked about on the first week of this series on the slide about likeness. 
and image. Remember, God placed his likeness and image on mankind, and that likeness was a covenant relationship between God and humankind, and image was the covenant relationship between humankind and creation. It's this vertical relationship that's fleshed out in a horizontal relationship. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for you and I? And we'll see this because of the new covenant, because of Christ, because of what God has established in Christ. You and I are, if we know Christ, number one, but even if we don't know Christ, we have the opportunity to know this love. But God, through Christ, has created a relationship with you and I where we can draw near to him. And then in turn, shine his light for all to see. The second thing that we see here is that God intends his chosen people to be close to him so they can go out. And we've kind of already talked about this, but I want to show you how it fleshes out in the next section of scripture, and that's in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 21 through 17. And these are, could be on the screen, but we'll probably just look at a couple because we don't have time to read all of these passages of Scripture I have intended to read. Uh, but what we see is that God wants us to be close to Him. So what He does is He establishes this law. He establishes these words, these things that are to be true about you and me. In fact... We call them the Ten Commandments, but the Israelites would have just called them the Ten Words that God gave them. And it helps us to see how close God wants to be to you and I, how, how deep of a relationship He wants with His people. In establishing His covenant with them, God wants them to be devoted to Him, sons and daughters treasured and devoted to Him. How does he do this? We often look at the Ten Commandments as negative. Don't do this, don't do that, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. But if you put them in the positive, you help them to see that God wants us to put him first in our lives. He doesn't want us to have any other gods except for him. He was establishing with them these things because they had been in a place called Egypt for, for hundreds of years and had seen idol worship. God, uh, false God worship take place again and again. He is establishing, I'm the only God for you. I'm establishing this covenant with you. Put all of them aside. Don't make graven images to them. Don't place them in any order of, of, of significance in their life. Put me first. And then he tells us to keep the Sabbath. And what the Sabbath is, is the Sabbath is a sign of the covenant. It's like the rainbow in the sky is the sign of the covenant of Noah. The Sabbath was to be a sign for the people of Israel to realize that God had created a covenant with them, a relationship with them. He had done all the work. He delivered them out of it. He provided them all that they needed. And he says, hey, rest in me. Rest in what I've done. Rest in my love. Rest in my accomplishments for you. Rest in my relationship with you. And what we see, 
those first commandments up until the keep the Sabbath day as holy. They're all vertical, right? But what are the rest of them? They're all horizontal. So in these 10 words, he's just reiterating what he's already said. I will be your God and you will be my people and you will, uh, you will be near to me, draw near to me. You are devoted and treasured sons and daughters of mine that will live out my ways among all nations, among all peoples. And he says to do that by don't kill anybody. Don't lie to them. Be, you know, don't covet what they have. He tells us all these things to help us see that. He wanted the people of Israel to draw close to him. And he wanted them to live it out for the world to see. I want you to see that slide again, the image and likeness slide. One more time, and it's just this idea of that God has established this covenant with his people that they would be like him, they would, be, they would have sonship, and that they would represent him for all to see. The image would be seen in all the lands, and you could even codify that as a servant kingship. You see that flesh out again in all of these things that's happening with Moses and the people of Israel and what God had shared with them and what he had shown them to do in this vivid, vivid way. The third thing that we see is in Exodus chapter 24. What we see in this passage is this ratification ceremony. Think of it like a marriage in a way, a marriage ceremony. Now, many of you have been to weddings. I'm sure you, you've probably been to more than you can count. And, and I've done a lot of weddings as well. What, what you have is a lot of symbolism, right? You have a lot of things taking place where, where a, a bride and her family sits on one side and a groom and his family sit on the other. And these two families are joined together. That two people who were not related are now entered into a relationship that's closer than any relationship they've ever had before. Two unrelated people are entered into a relationship that's stronger than any kin relationship that they have. And what we see happening in Exodus chapter 24, 1 through 18, is this vivid picture, this vivid picture of God saying, I am ratifying my promises to you. I'm establishing my relationship. And that's what we see, is that God demonstrates love by solidifying his relationship with us. And that's what he's doing. He's saying, I am vowing to you, like a vow in a marriage ceremony. And then the people of God vowed as well. Let's read this and see what's happening in these passages. Exodus chapter 24. Then he said to Moses, go up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of Israel's elders, and bow and worship at a distance. Moses alone is to approach the Lord, but the others are not to approach and the people are not to go up with him. Moses came and told the people all the commands of the Lord and all the ordinances. Then all the people responded with a single voice. Listen, this is a, this is a wedding vow. We will do everything that the Lord has commanded. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. And he rose early the next morning and set up an altar and 12 pillars for the tribes, 12 tribes of Israel at the base of the mountain. 
Then he sent out young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half the blood from those offerings and set it in basins, and the other half of the blood he splattered on the altar. He then took the covenant scroll, the book of the covenant, and he read it aloud to the people, and they responded. So the God's vow is the book of covenant, and then they responded with their marriage vow. We will do and obey all that the Lord has commanded. Moses took the blood, splattered it on the people, or more likely the pillars that represented the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. So what we see taking place here in this passage is we see this ratification ceremony, this this marriage ceremony, if you will, between God and his people from uh, the nation of Israelite no longer were just a nation, but they became a people under God's love and relationship and covenant with him. And God instructs Moses what to do, and Moses does it. He makes offerings, he takes half of the blood, he sprinkles it on the altar, which represents God's vows and God's uh, demonstration, and that, that, that blood was representing that God had established this, com- uh, this uh, covenant on his part and his end. And then Moses sprinkles it on the pillars representing the people after he reads the book of the covenant and the people make a vow and he takes the other half, sprinkles it on the people, uh, the the pillars representing the people. And so what we see in this ceremony, two unrelated people join into a relationship deeper than any other relationship. And it's a picture. You may think, well, it's, it's bloody and gory. Why? It's a picture of what Jesus did. It's a picture of the cross. It's a picture of the blood that Jesus would spill to fulfill what the Old old Covenant could not fulfill. Look at Galatians 3, beginning in verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by faith. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now look at 21 through 22. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For the law had been given that could give life and righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Look now at verse 29. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. You are heirs according to the promise. You see how all this ties up in this amazing, uh, amazing picture of, of what all these things represented. This relationship with Adam, this relationship with Noah, this relationship with Abraham, this relationship with Israel. Eventually, we, don't, we won't get to it, but the relationship with David on behalf of the people of, of Israel. 
And then the relationship that God has with anyone who believes in Jesus Christ. And just as the blood was sprinkled on the altar and was sprinkled on the pillars to ratify this ceremony that says God is entering into a relationship of love with you. Jesus Christ spilled on a vertical beam of a cross and a horizontal beam of a cross to say that he ended it all, he wrapped it all up, that he is the fulfillment of the covenant, that his blood was spilled to bring us, that he was the sacrificial lamb to bring us to final and complete relationship with God Almighty. And Jesus became what Adam never could, what Noah never could, what Abraham never could, what the people of Israel could have never done, what, the, what David never could have done. And Jesus came and fulfilled his love for us. God has once and for all solidified his loving relationship by offering himself, by offering Jesus to take the curse of sin for you and for me, to make us righteous, to complete the covenant fully once and for all by having his blood spilt for us and covering the wooden cross beams so that whoever believes in him can be saved. That's what the love candle represents. That's what Advent is about. That's the light that was to come, is that Jesus loved us so much. He loved people so much that he came and sacrificed it all so that anyone who believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I mean, if that don't get you excited, if that doesn't get you amped up, I don't know what would. Jesus loved you me and don't you see it this is not like the other covenants this isn't like those where if you do this do that do this do that do this what he's acknowledging and showing us is that you can't do anything to make yourself righteous enough to be worthy of my sacrificial death what he's saying I did it for you I spilled my blood to cover your sins I loved you and all you have to do is believe all you have to do is trust and follow him God loves you friends he loves you he died for you. He died so that you could believe, so that you could have your sins washed away, so that he could be a curse on your behalf. Maybe you're watching today or even in this room and you've not trusted Jesus Christ. You haven't believed in what he accomplished for you, the covenant he made and he solidified by dying on a cross for you. Today, 
today. What greater Christmas present could you receive than the Christ child born to die for your sins? What greater gift could you take home? What greater gift is waiting under a tree for you somewhere? Newsflash, none! No gift is greater than that. Jesus gave his very life to establish his love for you and me. The best thing that we could do is in humble appreciation, receive it with glad hearts. Would you receive the gifts Christ gave to you today? Let's pray. God, we love you. fully understand the treasure you see in me but I'm thankful I can't fully grasp the love that you have but I'm astounded at what I can grasp Lord, I pray that you would work and move in our hearts today to help us see your love. And God, if someone is here today that needs to believe in you, Lord, may they call on the name of Christ today in belief and say, I believe in what Jesus did on the cross, that it, that it was for me, and that I trust him and ask him to forgive me of my sins. And I ask him to help me to walk with him. If that's you, you come. I'd love to share with you. I'd love to rejoice with you. I'd love to share with you how you can trust him if that's the case. Lord, we love you. Move in this moment, Lord. You are a good, good father who loves us deeply. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?